Hey, welcome back to everybody out there in the listening audience. You folks are so loyal and I appreciate it. And uh, welcome you to episode number 45 of the Noggin Notes podcast. It's part two of our two-part series on why people need each other. It's an exploration of the concept of attachment theory. And I'm interviewing Dave Reed. He's one of our employees at Zephyr Wellness. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist intern. And he really knows his stuff. In this Part, we take a little bit deeper dive into how we apply some of the concepts that we're discussing. Uh, between Dave and I, we were realizing that while it's real effective to stir people's consciousness and help motivate them to go seek the help that they may, need, may be needing, we also acknowledge and recognize that not everybody has access to the services that maybe a, a master's level clinician provides. And so we'd like to help you help yourselves. Um, that's really in the spirit of, of all that we do. We, we don't want people staying in consult or counseling or um, treatment in perpetuity because that, that creates a, a, an unhealthy dependence. And we, uh, we talk about that concept as well, the, the concept of independence versus dependence and what's healthy and unhealthy. And uh, we, help you, we help you sort through this stuff so that you can make sense of it and uh, make it useful and not just simply interesting. So without further delay, here's episode number 45. It's part two of our two-part series on why people need each other. Enjoy the next 20 minutes or so. Hey, we're back with part two of attachment theory and why people need people. And Dave Reed is back with us. Hi, Dave. Morning. Morning. Morning again. It's still morning. We record these all at the same time. Uh, a little peek behind the curtain there. And last time we, we did an overview of what attachment theory is and uh, why it's important and some of the, the fallout that can happen if you don't have good, good healthy attachments. And this episode, we're going to follow up with that by talking about the application of what you do in counseling with this theoretical lens and how people can heal because the, the point of this podcast is not, I mean, yeah, we'd like to see people get into to counseling and into therapy if they, sure. if they need it. But ultimately, if you don't have access to that, if you live in some rural part of the world um, and it's hard or you, you don't have the resources or the funds, it, how, how can you help yourself? And so a lot of this is about self-help too. So sometimes as you and I have found going through the graduate programs and counseling, we ourselves evolve as people because we learn all this stuff and we start to self-apply the concepts and we, we improve our communication, we improve our uh, distress tolerance, we, you know, we become better leaders, hopefully, and, um, and then we become good clinicians. And so I, I say frequently on this podcast, the, the information doesn't do any good locked up in our heads. We right. like to share it with people. So let's talk a little bit about what you do in session, like specifically, what do you do with these folks who have unhealthy or insecure attachments and uh, how, do you, how do you help them attach again? Well, one of the things that I'm, I'm going to do is is I will follow their their emotions. The the old um, the old saw about follow the affect, which is a term for where their emotions are. So I'll follow that back to what um, what's what they're bugged about. What's what's driving them crazy. So we'll talk about that, and then, uh, at, at that point, then I'll begin to to find out where it is their relationships have have been struggling. And that's almost always where the pain is, where the anxiety is, where the, where the anger is, where the, the whatever distress is. But in that process, I'm going to be explaining to them that you're going to get from me, and, and I'll tell them this, I'll say that you're, I'm going to say this so many times that you're going to get tired of it because I want you to begin thinking this way. So I'll say the basic human drive, even, even over survival, but the basic human drive is to be attached with other people 
in an emotionally safe relationship. You've, you spent many years as a pastor and you did couples counseling before you went to graduate school. Yes, I did. And um, you have given a couple of sermons on this very topic and you have a really cool analogy or metaphor to highlight what it means to, to be, have the basic human drive, even over survival, which sounds insane to some people. It's, I know I've been doing this long enough that if you say the basic human drive is to be attached even above survival, people mm-hmm. look at you like you have a hole in your head. They do. It's fun. So explain, <laughs> it's fun having a hole in my head. It I is. have, I have at least three. Look, um, but, uh, <laughs> give, give, give that, that analogy. Cause it's so good. Okay. Um, well the basic thing is that, you know, there's people that we attach to people we care about and we get to, we need them. And if the, and the reason I say that attachment is, is overriding even survival is that if the building catches on fire, we all run outside. So, so survival is more urgent, but if there's somebody back in that building that I'm attached to, I'm going back in, I will get them. And I don't prioritize this. You know, I'll, I'll leave all the wife and kids out there on the, on the tarmac while I run back inside the building to go get the other child or the dog. And you hear stories about people going back into a burning building, literally in a burning building, to go get a handful of snapshots because those pictures are the only link that they have to somebody they're attached to, somebody they love. And they'll go get that and risk their life for that attachment. For so, the millennials, a snapshot is a, is a, photograph, a photograph printed out yes. on paper. I just dated myself, didn't I? Yes. <laughs> It's, a, it's something An that you... Informal one. Yeah. Uh, millennials, you may run back in for your phone, perhaps, which has all the snapshots. All the selfies, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not storing them in the cloud, which is what you should be doing. Um, but that's that's a really important point, is that we we go in with reckless abandon and no regard for our own health, safety, and welfare to save others because we're attached to them. Yes. Expound upon that and how you use that in session other than making a good point. Cause I, again, you know, I've been doing this well and I can reasonably conclude that people are going to hear this and go, well, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, but now what do I do with it? Right. Well, when we're, when I'm working with clients, um, a lot of them really don't understand that they have, a real deep need for emotional function and emotional function isn't going to work right if it's independent from relationship because we can't regulate our emotions independently. We need other people to help us to do that. We can regulate a little bit, but we really have to have other people to really process it, to keep things down from turning into a hurricane. We need them to stay in, in manageable levels. So a lot of clients come in and they really don't know that they have a real healthy need to be dependent on other people for their, for um, just just love needs. They need to have love coming in, love going out. But they're unable to regulate their emotions. So I do an awful lot of, of basic education of training clients that this is a good thing. It's good to have real emotions, a full spectrum of emotions that you're not trying to stuff the what we would consider negative emotions and try to emphasize the positive ones. Because then you go flat completely. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't just, turn off one and not the rest. That's right. That's right. Our, our, our brain processes all the emotions simultaneously. And you can tell it to, to stop telling me about what's going on with my emotions. And it'll do it. But it'll shut them all down so that you don't see them. They're still running under the surface. And this is why you see so many people, they, they have no emotion except depression and anger. Because they've stuffed them all down. Well, I'm not an emotional person. I'm just not very emotional. What they, what they really don't understand is they're extremely emotional. And they don't have a healthy way to process those emotions. And part of our culture has, has fed them a lie that um, we, don't, we shouldn't be dependent. We shouldn't uh, show other people our emotions. 
we shouldn't burden them with our emotions. We shouldn't connect with them with our emotions. Well, how else are we going to connect? Well, and I, I think I, I touched on that maybe earlier in a different podcast when we talk about emotional functioning, that you can tell your your frontal lobe not to feel something, right. but your limbic system keeps going. Yes. And it's and, and because of our adaptive need to have those, because they tell us what's going on in the environment, they are going to they're going to keep processing because the environment keeps throwing stuff at you. So it's a very important physiological need, emotions. It's uh, essential. It absolutely is. And just like any other important physiological need, such as uh, having to urinate, which is the evacuation of waste from the body, mm-hmm. um, you can also override the need to go pee with your with your frontal lobe to get through a lecture or a long flight or something like that. Uh, but eventually you will go pee. And if you aren't mindful about how you go pee, you're going to trickle down your leg in a very embarrassing spot. And yeah. similarly, you will emote. And these people who think that they're not supposed to emote or that they just aren't born that way or whatever it is. Um, I have ex- actually worked with a client who said that I don't have tear ducts. Um, and then he cried <laughs> really? in front of me and I said, explain that. And he couldn't, and it was very bizarre, but, um, the, these people end up emoting in ways that they don't believe are a reflection of emotion because exactly. they've been taught by culture or parents or society, whatever or it abuse, is. Trauma. Yeah, sure. They've, they've been taught, they've been trained not to be vulnerable. They've tra- they've been trained not to attach, uh, because to attach exposes and exposure breeds risk and risk usually leads to hurt. And if you don't like being hurt, you just shut down the risk altogether, which means you isolate. And, and unfortunately there are some songs and some movies and, uh, even the, the woeful army of one commercials that, uh, the U S army ran for a while tell us that it's okay. In fact, it's not even just okay. It's popular and, and well received to be on your own, isolated, independent. Um, but the simple fact is evolution and, and, um, anthropology have told us that's not true. Uh, the, there's one anthropological theory that says that the reason Homo sapiens evolved and not some of the other species of humanoid is because we lived together in tribes. We needed each other. We survived together by attaching and, and growing in, in groups and communities. So I, I see a very, a very uh, dangerous situation approaching with uh, the way that social media has, has augmented and, and grown and people are now believing that they can just uh, fill their attachment need with these uh, proxy relationships, you know, online. Yeah. That are very shallow and they are. And and that's not, that's not useful. It's not healthy. And we're seeing more people going out doing, you know, mass killings and, and uh, doing very bold mm-hmm. things on YouTube to try to get attention. And they're very dangerous. And uh, it's, this is emotionality blowing out. And all those people, it turns out that they're very isolated and they have very, they have uh, almost no relationships to speak of. Which is crazy because they'll tell you that, no, I have 1,300 friends or I have 2,300 friends on, on Facebook or I have, you know, 720 followers on Instagram. I have lots of friends and really they're, they're actually just passively interested. And the nature of those, those relationships are going to be, uh, it's easy to say superficial, but what it is is they're showing those people a specific um, false persona of themselves. They're trying mm-hmm. to show them that I am this, I'm this person and I live for this cause and I'm all about that. And so they're very one-dimensional, two-dimensional kind of a person that they're presenting. So in essence, they're really not showing themselves to anybody. They're showing a mask. 
or they're showing pieces that are controlled by them, which gives them, which, which to, to, to their credit feeds the power and control need that Glasser talks about. So if you get to control the, the narrative, if you get to control the message about who you are as a human being through your, your postings, your pictures, your, your musings, your opinions, then you get to tell your followers, your friends, this is who I am. And it would be very, very scary if any of those people found out that you're more than that. Yes, or just different from that. Or different. Because people, that's, this is, this is, the, uh, this is the, the, the beauty and the terror of being vulnerable in relationship. Is that, yes, we're taking a risk and we could be hurt. And likelihood we will be hurt from time to time. That's going to happen. But, but the beauty of vulnerability is when we find ourselves in a situation that we actually do connect with someone and find people that we can show them who we really are and they accept us. It's blissful. It is blissful, but it wouldn't be without the vulnerability. It wouldn't be without the risk. So our opinions aside and our, our you know, <laughs> commentary on society aside, back to what people can do to help foster, promote, and develop their own intimacy and, and uh, healthy attachments, what would you suggest? If they're not in session with you, how can a listener of this podcast take this information back and start applying it? Well, I would say, first of all, uh, grab some articles. Um, Maybe read a book or two. There's some some fine books out there on attachment, and uh, begin to get familiar with it. And it'll it'll generally uh, produce a very balanced picture of what what it is that attachments look like and how to nurture them. But you're going to have to sooner or later the individual is going to have to take a good look at themselves and and realize I need people, I need love coming in, and I need love going out, and it has to be unmasked, it has to be real. It has to be vulnerable. And if it's not, then I'm not really connecting. And if we don't have that love coming in and going out in an emotionally safe relationship, if we don't have that, then we start to unravel. How much of this has to do with people not even recognizing what healthy looks like? That's that's for, forcing bad relationships, for example, or thinking, you know, they might hear this and go, I need to connect. So I'm going to go attempt a reconciliation with my abusive ex. I will, I will grab a rough number, but I would say that's probably 80% of what I do is just showing people that they have this need. In the process of seeing the need, they begin to see uh, how it works, what it is, what, what I need to get out of it. And so they, they then begin to realize that they're different than they thought they were. They're a different kind of person. They like themselves better to begin with, too. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. they're able then to, to set up different kinds of boundaries. They, they develop what, what Bowlby would call a, a working sense of self. They have a clear sense of themselves. So they're not defined by their relationships anymore. They're defined by sense of self. But that self, we'll just say capital S, um, you know, like, like the, the true self, that uh, the divine within you that you, know, you were created to be. As soon as you can uh, tune into that, it doesn't mean you just go stand on your own and disconnect from people. It, it right. actually means the opposite. It's a you both press and thing. In. Yeah. It's a both and thing because we need... We cannot really define ourselves alone. We need people speaking into our lives, but they have to be people that um, are safe. They themselves are, are um, well aligned. Well, I hope so. But yeah. even if they're not, even if they're not, we can still use them to compare. And that gives us some idea, some input of who we are. And we can't do that without other people in our lives. So it's a both and thing. Mm-hmm. And that's part, of the, that's part of the dependency, a healthy dependency, is being able to use those relationships so they can speak into our lives, help us to define um, who we are, and that then allows us to connect with other people more, more exactly, more, more, um, more uh, healthy, more completely. It allows us to be more transparent. It also, um, paradoxically, 
It allows us then, because of those definitions, to have healthy boundaries in such a way that if someone comes in and doesn't like me or disagrees with me, that, well, you know, that doesn't, it isn't really relevant. That's and, okay, and too. It helps, you, it helps you filter out the good input from the, from the unhealthy input. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't necessarily want to be surrounding ourselves with an echo chamber. Exactly. That's horrible. You well, can't have that. Well, that, that, that doesn't, uh, doesn't help us grow, either. Exactly. Um, so if we're going to grow in concept of self, capital S, we need other people to bounce things off of. And that is the dependency you talk about. It's not, it's not this dependency as we think of as, um, need one person, one person only and can't leave them. And, uh, if we do, we don't know who we are. It's, it's a dependency upon all other people. Right. Right. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think, I think I was even using it inappropriately and I'm, I'm, I learned, uh, from this. So thanks for that. Any any last words? <laughs> that sounds ominous. I know. <laughs> so, We're standing in a graveyard. <laughs> yeah. So now I know we can cut off at the end means. Um, I I think this is, this explains an awful lot of of human behavior and and just drop one more thing into to to illustrate how important this is. Even as far back as the 1800s, we have known that when infants are dropped off at an orphanage, if they are simply uh, changed and laid back down. Uh, sooner or later they'll die. We have to have attachments. This is not uh, a trivial thing that, well, you know, it's kind of threatening. I'll just do without it. No, we have to have this or we begin to fail. We die. We die. Literally, we die. And and the, the whole failure to thrive syndrome that uh, infants get into, toddlers get into, it's because they haven't been uh, held and cuddled and interacted with and their emotions reflected and and encouraged and so their their bodies just kind of shut down they dissociate out of real paying attention to what's going on around them and they just begin to fade and sooner or later they will die now you fast forward to the other end of life and the other end of life is is this will date me but when paul harvey would celebrate these people that had been married you know 75 years 80 years and they're like 100 years old and one of their one of the spouses die and within a few days or weeks or months the other spouse dies why is that because they've become so intertwined in that conversation that's gone on all those decades, and so, in a beautiful way, dependent on each other's presence and each other's interaction, that the surviving spouse doesn't, and they die. And in between, what is every song on the radio about? What is every movie on the Hallmark Channel about? It's all about this this driving need that we must have attachments in our life, or we unravel. And to, to put one more uh, nail in this thing, um, why do we put prisoners, like in the Soviet gulag, they would put prisoners in solitary confinement and leave them alone so long that even a tormentor interrogator was welcome. And they would, they would keep talking with the interrogator just to tell them more things, to continue the conversation just a little bit longer because they hadn't talked to anybody in a month. This is very significant. And I can imagine adults listening to this going, well, I made it through infancy and I was okay, and I didn't get held, and then I, and I'm not interested in getting married because that's just one more loss I'm going to invite in right. my life. And so, junior high hit me, and, yeah, and I'm, ju- I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to stay being single. And to that person, I would say, if none of this uh, romanticism captures you, think about physiologically when your limbic system is running and it's pumping chemicals into your brain and into your body. If you're not allowing that stuff to flow out, either through acknowledgement and tolerance of what it's saying, or through exercise, or connectivity with another human being, conversations, what's happening is you're poisoning yourself. Yep. The body doesn't have an ability to process as much cortisol as you're sending through it. 
and you will end up with physiological dysfunction. You're going to end up with chronic pain in places that can't be explained by medicine. You're going to end up with ulcers that don't seem to have any cause. You're going to end up with migraine headaches that, that don't seem to have any trigger. And it's because you're not connecting. You're not processing. You're not, right. you, you're not dealing with what your body physiologically is trying to send you, all those messages that it's trying to send. That's right. So even if you don't want to buy into the whole, you know, uh, infancy being held. Well, you're not an infant anymore and you survived. Okay. Well, now I don't want to deal with marriage because that's a, that's a pain or whatever. And then, you know, we all die in the end and you just have this very bitter cynical outlook. That's fine. But in the meantime, you're still going to live. And do you want to live healthy and functioning and at peace and tranquility with your, with your body and all its parts running well, or do you want to deny this very basic human aspect and live in misery? And I, I, and usually when I lay that on the, on the table with somebody, they go, uh, yeah, you're right. I do have kind of a lot of uh, physiological health problems going on. I wonder if yep. it could be due to my emotional functioning and the fact that I'm lonely. Bingo. Bingo. It is. So thanks for, uh, coming along with us. We went a little long on this one, but, um, I think it was good stuff. And Dave, I appreciate you as always. And, um, if you want to find out more, check out ZephyrWellness.org. You can look at the YouTube channel. Um, I'm, I think I need to do a YouTube video on this. I'd love to. Love to. Yeah, we probably should. Um, you can reach us at info at Nogginotes.com, info at ZephyrWellness.org, and we'll read your uh, questions on the next uh, listener mail podcast. And in between, if they have to do it, Dave, I'll ask him for the answers. But uh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And Thank you. Um, I hope nobody noticed that you had your AM radio voice on today because you're recovering from being under the weather. <laughs> I thought it sounded sexy. So, um, thank you guys and uh, tune in again next week for more uh, stimulating conversation on the Noggin Notes podcast. For Dave and the Zephyr Wellness family and for all the people at Noggin Notes, I uh, wish you great mental wellness. Bye bye.